Welcome to another edition of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And to say that today's episode is a special episode would be an understatement. Not only is it a special episode, it is a very important episode, very significant episode. And the reason for that is because we are very much as a community still in the process of healing and my guests today are one woman who specializes in working with mothers, black mothers, who have experienced traumas and are in the process of healing. And another of, or the other guest that I have today is a mother herself who has endured what I can only guess is the worst pain imaginable and is very much healing. Uh, my guests today are Janelle Wood from the Black Mother Sloan, and Irma Johnson, the mother of Dion Johnson. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, or otherwise have not been out on the streets, or maybe you've been living under a rock, who knows? Um, Dion Johnson is a young man who whose life was taken from him at the hands of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, um, which in and of itself is sort of an oxymoron but uh he was found sleeping in his car on the side of the freeway um and was subsequently killed obviously i'm gonna let the right folks tell the story but um that resulted in tremendous outcry from the streets um i myself took to the streets uh thousands of people took to the streets and demanded justice demanded an explanation um i i saw people weep because that pain was not just felt by irma johnson and her family that pain is a reminder of the trauma that lots of black and brown folks feel on a regular basis and that trauma and that narrative that we keep getting sold is very um, harmful and very dangerous if we don't uh, talk about it and deal with it. But in any event, folks took to the streets. Um, I, I saw his name written everywhere. There's been murals, etc., etc. Tremendous uh, uh, show of support from the community for this young man who lost his life. And of course, there was a demand for justice. And um, I think it's important, and the reason why this show exists is to give women like this um, a stage to share what is happening in their lives and what has happened in the past and what direction we're going to move forward. So first, um, I'm going to welcome Irma Johnson to the show. Oh. Hey. So, um, the... uh, I guess the first question is, what is it like to have so much support from the people? Well, I appreciate all the support and love that I get from this um, community. It's um, heart filling, and um, I just I love it. Um, I I didn't think that I would be in a spotlight like this but 
I appreciate it, and, and it feels good to knowing that everybody that's participating, you know, um, they, they, you know, spend their time to come out and show the love and support, and I, I truly appreciate it. It feels good. Um, as I said, uh, you know, it, it's it's a, a horrible, unimaginable thing to have to endure, but um, I did hear that the funeral um, for your son was uh, well attended. Um, there was a lot of love there. A lot of folks showed support. So not just in the streets in protest, but actually, you know, when it came time for there to be, you know, some togetherness and some family and some remembrance, a lot of folks came and, and many folks who didn't know uh, Dion personally showed up just to show support i'm one of those people as i mentioned earlier um i believe i was i I know i know i was the last person to put flowers on his casket before he was lowered into the or before he was um finally buried um i went with my son just to go to the, the funeral so um what comes after that is you know healing and moving forward and I recognize that that's got to be very difficult to do when there are so many unanswered questions and so many people who are unwilling to cooperate. Um, What was your reaction when you found out that there was no body cam footage, no dash cam footage, and that the uh, DPS was not willing to release the the video outside of the, the edited version of the video that didn't show the alleged altercation what how did how did that make you feel disbelief i couldn't i i couldn't believe that they had nothing but the end of it they had actually put him on the ground and he was laying there in pain and i i just didn't have any understanding okay they caught the end of it but I know for a fact they caught the whole the whole um, incident. Sure. But they're telling us that they only got uh, the last of it where they see him laying on the ground after he's already shot. I um I noticed there was a part in the video and it just kind of stuck with me where the officer actually sort of stuck his boot out and kicked him back mm-hmm. to the ground when he was trying to kind of right himself and um uh, mm-hmm. i'm i'm very sorry because i know you have to relive this on your own so i i'm sorry that you're you know having to relive this but i think that it's such a display of strength that you would come out and share this story with with all of us who have um obviously we can't we can't we can't feel as, as strongly as you do but um i think that by sharing it helps all of us heal and we can heal with you um, so that that does mean a lot but I do want you to know that that was sort of heartbreaking that it, it looked so in, inhuman um, and uh, it, was, it was just very hurtful to see I think that that is picture perfect incident of why the, the call Black Lives Matter exists um, but uh, I also want to introduce Janelle Wood um, Janelle uh, is from or founded an organization called the Black Mothers Forum. Um, it was started in 2016, mm-hmm. 
and formalized in 2017, mm-hmm. right, if I'm not correct. So I want you to talk a little bit about the Black Mothers Forum. Where did it come from? Why does it exist? It, why does it exist? Well, thank you, um, my lovely black son. Mm-hmm. Uh, black Mothers Forum came into existence in August of 2016 to provide support for my beautiful mother sisters like Miss Johnson, like Irma, and other mothers who have had to face the realities and the trauma of losing a child, a son or a daughter, to police brutality. Um, we as mothers came together in that day on August 7, 2016, to address the police brutality that we had seen repeatedly on national TV here in our state. And oftentimes, mothers, their voices have been silenced, and we've been overtalked by some of our brothers. They don't mean to do it. But at times they do, our community leaders. And I don't believe a man can effectively articulate the pain that a mother feels when her son or her daughter has been ripped from her brutally because only a mother can understand the pain from the womb. It's a womb, it's a pain so deep that no one else can articulate that the way a mother can. And what we came to do is we came to help our mothers better articulate their pain, better articulate our concerns, and what we want to see happen to stop these types of atrocities and these types of um, systems that continue to give permission for those who are in positions of to protect and serve us to kill us uh, without any consequences Uh, without any remorse and uh, without any um, humanity uh, behind their decision to do so, knowing that they will not be held accountable. And so we came together and said, enough is enough. We will no longer remain silent or quiet. We will no longer stand by and allow people to abuse our children, to disrespect our children, to neglect our children, to kill our children, to... um, to terrorize our children, to humiliate our children, to harm our children, to um, talk down to our children. We said enough is enough of that. With your policies, your practices, your systems, your curriculums, whatever touches our children, you will stop doing it to cause them harm. We are here for our children to live, and we're not going to play the game anymore. We've had enough of that. And we believe that once mama starts to speak, and when George Floyd called out for his mama, Mm. The same day Dion was taken from us, the same day they took away George Floyd. And, and the world got to see that, and he called out for mama, so he evoked every black mama on the face of this earth. There's mothers all over the world protesting the brutality against our children, especially our sons and daughters. So. Um, excuse me. So, um, you did mention that, uh, that was very powerful. Um, just a personal note. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up with my birth mother. So, um, a lot of times when I hear about, you know, mothers and and that passion, that, that reminds me of something that, um, I've kind of pulled from different sources in my life. And, 
um, just to hear a, a passionate plea like that it, it is especially meaningful to me. But I do want to talk about this. Um, you mentioned something about curriculum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important to, uh, I'm going somewhere with this, I think it's important to, to look at the whole entire criminal justice system, not just the policing, because there are many uh, people who they can live through uh, an incident with the police. You know, there's people who are brutalized and they live, but now they are into the criminal justice system, which historically has never treated black and brown folks fairly. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's extremely unfair, uh, comparatively speaking. Um, and uh, I think that when you mention curriculum, it, it brings to mind uh, what's known as the uh, school-to-prison pipeline. And I want you to talk about what the school-to-prison pipeline is and what the Black Mothers Forum has done to address the school to prison pipeline so the school to prison pipeline is a pipeline where we had identified that starts where teachers and administrators start to target our black sons and daughters uh, by um, with little infractions so minor infractions such as the teacher saying this child disrespected me this child disrupted my class this child has an attitude this child did this, and our children are then sent to the office. Okay, let me tell you how it begins. They're sent to the office, and then they get something called a consequence. It's a disciplinary practice. Uh, this discipline is for something minor, but the actual consequence itself is very punitive, oftentimes resulting in our children being suspended, which interrupts their instruction time. So now we're in school. Now we're going to put you out of school. We're going to suspend you for several days. You're now going to be labeled as a troublemaker. You're going to be labeled as someone who can't keep up with school because you've missed two weeks of school. You come back. You're behind. You're failing. Now they start to label you. You start to act out because now, because you've missed so much time, you're no longer in. You're no longer engaged because you're behind. You feel embarrassed. And so we start the process. And then they start to put you out again because you're not engaged. You're going to be disconnected. And you'll most likely be in class not paying attention because you don't know where you're at in class. And that starts you back down the hall, back to the principal. So we have this route, right? And the more the child sits out of school, the more the child gets behind, the more their instruction time is interrupted, the more their educational endeavors have been deterred they will find themselves in a position where they are interacting now more with law enforcement than they've ever done before because there's nothing else to do they're out on the streets parents have to work and they now find themselves with the wrong types of company they're drawn to that and so here we are and then that starts that child down a path that's one way the other way the school to prison pipeline works is that by third grade, if you can't read at a certain level, now they start to say, well, this child, this child here and this child, this child's going to go somewhere. This child is not. This child has some potential because they're an athlete. We'll go ahead and move them over here. And so now they start this sorting game. And then our children that don't, they feel they are not going to make it. They become the target 
of harassment by the schools and the teachers. They are bullied by schools and teachers. And then they start finding themselves on the other side of an expulsion or a suspension. They can expel our children for up to a year. What is a child to do for a year of missed school time? And that means they can't go to school anywhere else. When you have an expulsion, you cannot go to school anywhere else for a year. So that child has missed a year of their education. When they come back, they're behind, they're embarrassed, and they're definitely discouraged, and they are truly not interested. And so what will they do? They'll find themselves in a situation where they will be in, in, they will be moving towards having those negative interactions with law enforcement because they got to find something to do with their time. And trust me, there's elements out there that will give them something to do. And so this is the prison pipeline. And then they get in. <clears throat> so then that's the school, the pipeline. School, now we're going to the pipeline. The pipeline again is these suspensions lead me into negative interactions with the police. Now I start to get a record. Now, it can be a juvenile record because I've had fifth graders going to juvenile court. Wow. Juvenile court. Yes, yes. We've worked with them. Ten little, years old. Little girls. Mm-hmm. My little black daughters being harassed on the school bus by a little white boy thumping her in the head and playing with her hair and calling her names. She goes to the school bus driver and says, hey, he keeps hitting me. And calling me the n-word he's bullying her bus driver says stop being overly sensitive go sit down little boy picks on her again she can only take so much and what she does is she turns around and she finishes this whole conversation and she finishes it guess who gets taken to the nurse the white boy who's older than her guess who was met by some by the principal Escorted to the office and then to the police. A 10-year-old. 10-year-old. Mm. This happens all the time. Now oh, she's in the pipeline. <clears throat> she's going to court. Her mother's terrified. They ask us for help. We give the attorneys, you know, attorneys that help us with this, and we advocate. We go with them to court. We're with them. We're helping to read through policy with them, help them understand We've also acted as community service where the kids need to do community service. They can do it through us so they can get those hours and not have a record. This is terrifying for parents. But now this child has a record. They, so they start this early. I had a five-year-old, five-year-old kindergarten boy who a principal got on the phone and told me the boy threatened her. She was scared for her life. He had no gun. He's only five. He was a threat to the school, and they expelled him for a whole year. That means he couldn't go to school for the whole year of his five-year-old. Now, now, what are we going to have? What's going to be the problem with him moving forward? He's going to have some problems. So we're going to put him in the pipeline. And then at some point, we're going to prison because you're going to have all these stack-ups of different offenses until one day they're going to get, you're going to go to prison. And this is how it begins. Just one little thing after the other. Just like with school, they stack on the referrals. Parent doesn't even know the referrals are happening. They don't have to tell the parent that they're sending their child to the office. The parent thinks the child is sitting in class all day. Child's sitting in the office. And they got one referral to the other until they finally suspend them. And the parent says, well, what happened? We've been having problems with your child. How come I'm just now finding out about it? Well, we've been handling it. No, you haven't. Clearly. Clearly you haven't handled it. And had you let me know, we would have dealt with this earlier on. Mm-hmm. 
but they won't let you know because they have to put they build up the 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 record against them and now they have a discipline file about this thick and by the time the parent finds out and we've gotten involved to change that we disrupt that and what we do is we go in and look at the policy we look at the practice we question why it went down this way and if we can get in it in some parents don't even know about us until the until it's after after the fact. But those who find out about us while they're in the middle of it, we've gotten involved where we've gone in, challenged the decision, and been able to get it reversed, got the child back in school, got the child tutoring to get them caught up after school, and the teacher that put him out, that's the teacher is going to tutor them and get them caught up. Very good. Mm. We're not playing the game. Absolutely. We're like, this is enough. You You're the one that caused this. You're going to make sure they get caught up. And you're going to spend your extra time after school and make sure it happens. Very good. So Excellent. these are some of the things that we've done. We've changed policy. We've done Office yeah. of Civil Rights complaints. So Office of Civil Rights, they're the federal arm of the Department of Education and Department of Justice. And so what we do is we help parents build their case. We make sure they document, document, document. We go through the proper channels. We go to the principal. They say, no, we're not going to change our decision. Oh, okay. Then we go to the superintendent. No, we're not going to change our decision. Okay. We go to the governing board. No, we, we agree with the decision. Oh, okay. Then we go to the Office of Civil Rights. Now, we have gotten all the paperwork. Office of Civil Rights will take it because we'll say, this child was bullied. They were threatened due to, the, to their race. Based on these things that occurred, no other child that was white who did the same thing would have would, would have gotten this type of punishment for this long. And we put, we bring data. So we get the data. We show them. Office of Civil Rights takes it. This is when we get an opportunity to do a mediation. It's called a mediation. With that mediation, what we've done is we've been able to rewrite policies and practices as a result of the agreement and the settlement. Parents have also received damages because I make sure they're documenting the damage that this caused their child through going to mental health counseling, getting services for that child, and now we have a bill. And we're like, here's the bill. Here's what's happened. And we get damages for the parent because the parent has been through something. Go get them. And so the parent gets paid <laughs> for their trauma, what it's done to their family, sure. how this has impacted their siblings. We get it all for them, but we also get policy changes and practices. This is how we've started to interrupt and disrupt some of this foolishness at the school school level. Very good. Awesome. The um uh I I I appreciate the fact that the Black Mothers Forum isn't just for when a life is lost and you know, I know that it's for that too, but it's it it has a a three hundred and sixty degree approach to what it means to be a black mother raising a black child in this country. Um, and I do want to talk more about that, but it brings the thought, um, you know, Ms. Johnson, for, for those of us who didn't grow up with Dion, for those of us who might be, maybe they're not even black. Maybe they're just an ally to black people. Um, and they, they know the name, you know, or they've been on the streets or whatever. Um, I, I think it's important for us to, you know, I can't tell you what it means to honor someone's legacy, but I think it, you know, in my heart of hearts, I think it's good to honor his legacy by telling the full story about 
the the man and for, for those of us who have championed this cry for those of us who drive by his murals and will remember that name for the rest of our lives would you please tell us a little bit about what Dion was like you know growing up what he was like to be around you know that's your baby so I'd like to hear it from his mother well I mean he's always been smart ever since he was little he was always smart he loved music okay. loved music um, he wanted to pursue his music but as a child when he was growing up he was just like my little shadow he wanted to go everywhere with me he wanted to just be with me I don't I don't care I have other children but he was the one that just was always under me mm-hmm. and when I go somewhere he always think he has to go with me <laughs> he liked sports good at sports he's strong as a mule that little boy oh well that boy he was strong he was very strong and um you know he just he had a lot of um friends peers that loved him because of his personality because he was he was the type of person that when you're around him you just love to be around him because he he had that that personality that kind of like funny type of character sure he was a um, light of the party. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And um, as he grew, you know, he had some little troubles, you know, and but still that wasn't my son. I think he just got with the wrong crew, led him down the wrong path. I was always mother that says look you know some of these boys that wanted to hang with him was a lot older than him and I I wasn't good with that but it happened because I can't watch him all the time I have to work I have to do other things and um, you know, he, he, he went down these paths but he he always came back around he, he was a good person genuinely a good person he had a genuine heart he would help anybody he loved children he loved to help the elderly he loved to help women he would help anybody if if that's what he needed to do he would do it no no and i used to tell him like why do you you know kids would come over and sometimes they didn't have shirt or shoes or whatever they'd go in the closet and get their things out and I get mad I'm like why are you giving these kids your stuff you know well mom they, that's only material things we can get it again I'm like but you need it too you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm like wait a minute where's their parents at you know but that's the type of person he was he, he was just giving giving all the time I think it's important to know the man behind the video and the murals um, and the reason I say that is because now what you're doing is talking about a full life um obviously we understand that there's a human being who's endowed with consciousness but when you talk about how generous Dion was and when you talk about um his passions and the things that he was really into I think it it paints a much better picture um I can't for the life of me imagine someone hearing you say what you just said about your child and then snuffing his life out. But I think that um, 
a lot of prejudices exist. This is just a personal opinion. I think a lot of prejudices exist, a lot of fear based on the fear-mongering in place exists in these institutions um, and these systems. And, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, folks talk about systemic racism, systemic problems, um, and uh, historically racist institutions that treat black folks unfairly. Anyone that hears, okay, there's a young man who might have had some problems, but otherwise was a good man, pointed in the right direction, you know, um, etc., you know, that's the sort of person that, in my in my thinking, deserves help, not a death sentence. You know, um, and if we had the right systems in mm-hmm. place to help people or to offset the 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 cultural traumas and the generational traumas that Black folks have endured, I think that we begin to start having the conversations that we really need to have. And so, as opposed to being overly policed, um, let's think about it in terms of like perhaps a, a health problem as opposed to a criminal problem um, so I I, I want to know you know because obviously you know Dion what was your reaction when you found out that they weren't going to be pressing any sort of criminal charges against um Officer Cervantes, I believe his name is, someone who had, from my understanding, uh, previous complaints of racial profiling, of uh, incidents, you know, as a police officer. What was your thinking when you found that they weren't going to be filing? First of all, I was mortified. Mm -hmm. I wasn't shocked. And I felt that they were going to do that. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it hurt. Because, okay, <clears throat> had this officer did what he was supposed to do, my son would be here today. And instead, and you really need to read the police report because it's mind-blowing how this officer, well, I felt um, for my life. Or I seen, um, I had a flashback of my buddies that got hurt out here. You know, he was using everything but the right thing to say why he justified to kill my son. None of it was justified. That's what he said. That's what he wanted everybody to know. Is This is the reason why he shot and killed my son. Had he waited. Because the thing of it is, like I said, Dion was a big guy. Very strong. Very muscular. He was strong. So this officer couldn't pull him out. And he got mad. He got mad because my son was stronger than him. And so, instead of him waiting for someone else to come and help him, he thought the gun would be his thing, that once I shoot him, I'll get you out. No, but 
as I relive and I play back the incident of how he even approached my son because what if what he did he he did everything illegal he didn't he didn't announce himself he didn't see my son could have been sick my son could have had a seizure or had a heart attack or mm-hmm. anything but he didn't he just thought okay that's like he said i seen beer cans all over the car supposedly mm-hmm. i smelled alcohol you know, my son was in a lush mm-hmm. he drank but he don't drink like that and he knows he's driving he's not gonna have how he explained it all over the car like that my son is cautious. He's a very clean person. He's not going to ride around with empty cans all over the car. So he's not like that. Mm-mm. They portrayed him to be just a monster, that he was just a outright drunk. And that's not him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like that. Well, um, I, I've, I've been able to kind of plug in with. You know, some of your family members here and there just kind of over here sort of fly on the wall sort of thing so I know that to be something that a viewpoint that a lot of folks share that really knew Dion so um, this is the place where you can say that and it will stay on the air so we're not taking that out and I think it's very important for people to know that sometimes the police play with the optics because they have an incentive in maintaining a certain narrative um, so that they can continue to operate with impunity and continue to exist just like any other entity that's bent on its own survival um, the police uh, are no different um, now I'm not here to, to make heads or tails of what the police do but that's something that has been historically documented especially as it pertains to black and brown people so I wanted to make sure that you understand that um, that this is the space for that conversation. And for the folks listening, if you don't know that, now you know. Um, now, what I'm hoping is that that's not the end of the story, that they won't file um, uh, criminal charges, that you might pursue um, civil charges. Um, you know, I do... I, the way I initially heard... Well, part of what I initially heard was that after he was wounded, he stayed there for six, seven minutes on the on the side of the road before they gave him medical attention, which could have saved his life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is is are is there any other path that you can pursue to ensure that the right story is told and that justice is served? We're, we're talking about the six minutes from the camera footage that we've seen. Which was edited. Yes. That was the six minutes that he, when we looked at the camera, the EMTs were there. The fire trucks were already there. That was the six minutes that they just laid back and did nothing. Right. So... It happened at a certain time. It was even more minutes before that incident happened. 
that he was shot. He was shot at supposedly 5.33 or 2 that morning. And this is all a... It's all a, a, a collaborated type of deal because after the first incident that happened, it, the shots were fired, shots were fired, that's what we heard... That was at 5.33 in the morning. Okay. When... You're talking about the 911 call. Mm-hmm. Okay. When... I, I don't know how long be- between that time and the time they pulled him out the car that he was laying there. And then it took several minutes after that before they even let them come in to even render aid to him. So I'm thinking... A good 40, 30, 45 minutes that passed before they even got him to the hospital. Then once he got to the hospital, he was still talking. He gave them their name. He knew who he was. So at that time, I don't know what happened after that, after he got to the hospital. Um, well, at some point, um, the hope is that, you know, all of the, uh, the tapes will be released and everyone will mm-hmm. know everything that happened. Um, that's something that, um, mm-hmm. you're helping out with, uh, Janelle. And, um, you know, if it's meaningful to, um, make this into a civil matter, um, then I guess the, the hope, at least from the community is that there will be at least that recourse for you and your family. So, um, and it is our hope and we are pushing for officer Cervantes not to have a job. Sure. He he no longer needs to, um, wear the badge, have access to the gun nor the power to take anyone else's life, to abuse his authority. He continuously has proven that he is going to operate outside of his policies. He feels he doesn't have to because in the past, with all the complaints, he continues to get off. And so the message that's been sent to Officer Cervantes in the past is that we will give you an administrative leave, get yourself together, and we're going to bring you back. He has had repeated aggressive offenses against women, against animals internally and externally. He's had complaints. And so he is uh, a danger. He's an imminent threat uh, to um, our communities of color. And we do not wish to have him on the streets or on the force. And so we are pushing, uh, even though the attorney, the uh, county attorney didn't believe that there should be criminal charges because the way he framed the story. Again, he's the only one telling the story. Mm-hmm. This is the way he framed it. Um He still has to deal with human resources for the state. And there's a personnel issue. You violated your policies again. This is the 14th time that we know of that's on the books. Very good. That he's violated the policy. So I don't know how many employees can violate policies of their employer that many times. Still have a job. And continue to have a job. And so this is ridiculous. And so we're like, no, no. We still want him off the force. He does not need to be on the force. So that's, I know, 
Um, Miss Miss Johnson is pushing for that for sure. Yeah, we're pushing for that. Yes. We're working. We've been. Ta- I've been talking to Colonel Silbert. I've talked to his office. We're going to continue to push for him to no longer have a job. Uh, and it would be sad for him if he does stay on the force because that won't be well for him. That won't go too well for him to be out there on on the streets. Right. I just believe he would want to come off the streets and not be a part of this anymore just because of what happened. He has escalated. His behavior has escalated. They need to cut him. He needs to come off the force. That's the other thing. And I know that we look I know she's looking at, you know, the notice of claim in the suit and all of those things. So those things are coming, I know. Good. Um, and we'll we'll be very much a part of helping her uh, the family push for that. We will advocate for those things for sure. So that brings me to the thought. So um, you work with families directly mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I also know that with the Black Mothers Forum, you I call it create cheerleaders mm-hmm. or you otherwise empower mothers to make the changes in their life and in their communities that they want to see because you're, you can only be mm-hmm. in so many places in a given amount of time. But what you're doing is creating other folks to operate in a similar manner to, you know, then go yes. out and create those changes. Mm-hmm. How does that look? How do you how do you create cheerleaders how do you how do you empower these women to make those changes well what we do is we do um advocacy training training and know your rights training Ooh, okay so we provide that once a month okay every third saturday any mother and or her child who wants to know their rights wants to know how to advocate for their rights how to go about it how to navigate the system how to read the policies that are in place and the laws that are in play that can help them better navigate it. That's what we do. We do a virtual training now. We used to do it in person. It used to be six hours in person on a Saturday. Um, now virtually we're doing it for three hours, a virtual training. And so what that training does is it walks you through the particular laws. It walks you through constitutional rights that each person has that we don't realize we have. Uh, it walks you through the policies that are in place that would definitely impact um, the um Decisions and direction of what could happen with your child, either in school. We're working on one for the police. I'm working on that right now. Um, we, we're look, working on anti-racism training for our white um, accomplices to get them up to speed because they want to help mm-hmm. and they don't know how to enter in to this. And that's one. That's my new focus is to help them enter in. I've been called repeatedly, and they're like, "We need training on how to best enter in." To use our privilege, how do we best use our privilege? How do we best use our platforms to infect these changes in the policies? Sure. So we do a lot of training. We work with the school districts to deal with their um, equity issues. But now I'm, I'm calling forth for the schools to denounce racism in all its form because we believe diversity and equity and inclusion just is not quite getting it. The, the issue is anti-blackness. There's an anti-blackness uh, with our with the conditioning that has gone on for decades with respect to black people and the systems have done everything they can to limit the movement of our black bodies one way or the other and if they can't limit those movements which is what she just expressed that officer felt he couldn't limit Dion's movements because Dion was is strong therefore he had to destroy it destroy that black body and he shot him 
Well, this is what's happening in the schools, too. If I can't make this black child do what I want it to do, this him or her to do, because the, they see us, they don't see us really as humans most of the time because of how the false narratives have played out. Sure. So that's why I said it. I said that on purpose. That's how they think. But when they cannot limit our movements, they can't limit how we talk. If we talk back, if we ask a question in class, if we put the teacher on the spot because the teacher doesn't know what they're talking about, then they say, well, they must destroy this child. And that way, I don't have to deal with them. So I'm going to kick them out. I want to put them through all these changes. I'm going to let them be bullied. I'm going to let them be called the N-word all day long. I'm going to let them get to the point where they fight. Then I'm going to let them get in trouble for fighting because they're responding. But this is what happens. And so we're dealing with racism. It's an anti-blackness. So we've decided, I've been starting to call schools on that and say, I need you to issue a statement saying that you will denounce every form of racism and anti-blackness in your school systems, within your practices, your policies, uh, your curriculum. Because the curriculum, how they approach history, how they do not have any marketing materials that even reflect that black children even go to their schools. Uh, These are things that I've looked at. I look at that. And the schools have called me in to be a part of these conversations, those schools that really want to do this work. Very good. Okay. So I've been working with the schools on these particular subjects. So we're doing a lot of that. But the parents, teaching them their school policies. Teaching them right now, I'm working on the use of force policy for the police. I'm pulling that thing apart because my goal is to make sure that I put, we develop the curriculum of training for our parents, our black parents and our youth to understand what use of force is, what it should look like, and to get them to develop the proper questions to start to question the uses of these things. Because we don't know what we don't know. But we're going to know because I'm working on it now. I have actually have some young people actually reading it over for me because I want to get our young people involved in reviewing policies. We can be in the streets all day protesting. That's great. But if you don't know what these policies say, say and what these laws say and what these protocols and procedures and operation manuals say, then you can't get anything done or changed. Sure. So that's what we're doing now. And if you're uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, the voice you just heard is the voice of Janelle Wood, the uh, creator of the Black Mothers Forum Incorporated. My other guest today is Irma Johnson, uh, the mother of Dion Johnson, uh, the young man whose life was taken um, by the Arizona DPS. Um, now, Miss Johnson, uh, you know, I, again, I, obviously you've uh, endured something unimaginable and uh you know my heart and, and a lot of people i saw thousands of thousands of people's heart um that go out to you uh you know and uh if if this could culminate in something positive uh, or at least something with a silver lining I, I i guess my question is what are some of the changes you would like to see on the other side of burying your child there's so many yeah that's what we're here for (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to turn that mic off you keep going um i i just want to see changes i mean even me when i'm driving 
and the officer I look up and he's behind me, I just, you know, my heart just flutters. I'm like, oh, God, please just let this guy go and don't bother me. But it's just, it's scary. And I, I don't think that at me as being a black woman or even a man as being a black man or what have you, even these youngsters just out here driving or whatever, I don't want... I don't want them to be afraid to have to come in contact with officers when, you know, they're behind them or they cut the lights on them and they don't know whether they're going to shoot them, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to harass them or just search their cars or stuff like that. I just want everybody to know their rights, know what, what they can and cannot do. But overall, I just, I don't know, I just... It's so hard. I just don't want to. I just don't want you know us to be having to be in fear of being stopped by a cop. You know that's that's terrifying. It's something that you just don't want to do. Oh no, I know. Um, in fact, uh, I was just having a conversation earlier today about um, the most recent time I got uh, pulled over by the police and how terrifying it was. Uh, I was in Mississippi mm. and. Uh, Mm. It was probably 2.45 in the morning. and I mean, if you know me, mm. I've never in my life had a drink of alcohol. I've never done a drug. I've never done anything that would even get me remotely close to being in trouble with police. Mm-hmm. And yet, I am absolutely, paralytically terrified of the police. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that you know, the same people that show up to get the actual bad guys are the same people that show up to make sure that, you know, you're driving along and minding your business okay. And those same people with the same traumas that, that we mentioned that uh, Officer Cervantes was was drawing from when he was worried that Dion was mm-hmm. going to do something. You know, all those people, they, they know violence, they know aggression. That's the sort of the world they come from. And then what I'm staring at is a person with a murder weapon and his hand mm-hmm. on it, asking mm-hmm. me to get out of my car on the side of a road in Mississippi somewhere. And so mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter how right you are mm-hmm. um, it, or how wrong you are, for that matter. If someone wants to take your life and, and they can do it with impunity, I think that that is an exceptionally unfair right. power mm-hmm. dynamic to have over another human being endowed with consciousness from whatever you believe our same creator to be. It is the same creator. And uh, for one human being to have that power over another, um, as though they are get away with it, get away with it. That's yeah. So, so well said. Um, But uh, you know, before we start to to wind down here, I do want to talk about. I I know that uh, for the Black Mothers Forum, uh, Janelle, um, that you often collaborate with other organizations mm-hmm. um, and you work on other projects as well mm-hmm. um, not just as Janelle from the Black Mothers Forum but one that comes to mind is the census and while I have you here I do want because I worked with you on the census mm-hmm. you and uh, Dr. Westenberg and I do think that it's important to um, while, while you're here explain why it's important to um uh, fill out your census mm-hmm. and uh, what the implications are if you do or if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
please. Well, I, I want to say uh, it has been a pleasure doing the work in the census. I actually finished my assignment with the census on this past weekend. Okay. Uh, but the census, the deadline now, from what I gather, is October 5th. Okay. 2020, they just extended it. But the importance of the census, I was assigned to the African-American community, and I was assigned to the faith base. We typically have been one of the most undercounted and underrepresented groups uh, in history of the census. Uh, there's a reason why, because historically, when the census came out in 1790, where were we as black people? We were enslaved. Talk to them. So because we were enslaved, we were never invited when it came out to even participate and to get counted. As a matter of fact, um, the individuals that counted us counted us as property. Mm. And so we, um, and then we were not deemed a whole person. Remember, we were three quarters of a person. So there was a big battle with the South and the North regarding, well, how come we can't count them as a whole person? Because counting, I'm going to tell you why it's so important that you want that whole person. But that means money. That means dollars. And so if you can't count a whole person, then you don't get the dollars, right? And so they maneuvered it where they said, if a person who's enslaved lives to be 100 years old, they will be counted as one whole person. If they manage to live through enslavement. <laughs> 100 years. 100 years. Wow. They get, they get a reward. Their reward will be they'll be counted as one whole person and their name will be placed in the census record. Okay, so that's how we were oriented to the census. So now we fast forward when we do become persons, and now we're being invited to to participate. When we are invited to participate mm-hmm. in the census, there's a couple questions on there. They're called citizenship questions. Another problem: they want to know if we're a fugitive. Now, are you a fugitive? Or are you free? Now, who would say they're a fugitive? So they're hiding out. So that means if I put this down, that means you're going to find me, take me back to enslavement. So I'm not going to get counted. Much like what we're seeing today with our brown brothers and sisters who are undocumented. The threat of there being a citizenship question on there. That was to stop them from getting counted. Now, why is counting so important? Because resources that means funding is tied to every person that gets counted and here in the state of Arizona $3000 is allotted per person for every t- for every year for 10 years so one person for 10 years can generate $30000 that will come into their community so it is important the reason why our communities are suffering and struggling when we look across the nation is because black people don't trust the government We don't trust that when they get the information that we give them, they're not going to give it to somebody. I may have a record. I may be I may have some charges. I don't know what may be going on, but I think that you're going to release that information to some entity that can come and hurt me. I think that if I'm on Section 8 or housing, that if I let you know who's all here, that it's going to be a number problem because I may have more people living here than 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 I should. And so. What we try to do is help people understand, according to Title 13, according to Title 13, the U.S. Code, it says we, as the, the census, I'm no longer with the census, but the census cannot release your information to any entity, any department, ever. Your information is sealed for 72 years. That's by law. The only thing that gets released 
in, in an aggregate format, aggregate numerical basis, is statistical, is your the ages of the people in the household, the demographic as far as race, so we can know whether who's in that particular tract. The census tract is boundaries. It's not neighbor, it's not zip codes, it's boundaries. So again, another form of anonymity. The other thing that the census numbers are tied to is representation. How many representatives can we get as a state? We had 800,000 new people move into Arizona from 2010 to 2020, approximately. That gives us another seat in Congress. That means we have an opportunity to get another another voice at the table for Arizona. In 2010, we gained a seat. We gained the ninth seat, which uh, Congressman Greg Stanton sits in that seat now. We stand to gain another seat after 2020 if we all get counted. Um, The other thing it's tied to is redistricting. This is very important because school district lines get redrawn every 10 years. If I don't show a certain demographic is in a certain area when they are, very well those lines could be redrawn and it could hurt that particular community because now they'll have a, a representation that really doesn't represent them. But I didn't know you were here. The only people that got counted here was this group. So those three things are tied to the census. But the $3,000 is really important because we've lost out on millions of dollars. Do you know there was a million uh, zero to five-year-old children that were not counted in 2010? A million. Of that million, they said 80% of them were black children, zero to five years old. So, yes. So, um, I I really thought that it was important for you to share that before we uh, wrap up. Um, and I do appreciate both of you for coming out, uh, Janelle Wood from the Black Mothers Forum and Irma Johnson. Um, thank thank you, you for sharing your stories about your son, Dion. Um, before we go, briefly, um, if you could just let everyone listening and watching uh, know how they can support you. Well, you can um, support Black Mothers Forum through going through our website www.blackmothersforums.com or you can go on our Facebook page. Uh, you can support us physically, being a part of what we're doing, part of our movement. We need bodies, we need people, we need voices. Or you can f- support us financially through PayPal or through our website. All right. And uh, Ms. Johnson, uh, how can people support you? Well, for just to keep coming out and showing support. No, whatever way they want. Just keep following the story. Yes. Okay. Pressuring. Well, that'll work. And, uh, of course, you can support Civic Cipher um, at civiccipher.com. This is a show for you. Um, and uh, we always appreciate your donations. You can check out civiccipher.com for support. You can also submit questions, topics. Um, again, you can donate. And be sure to follow all of our social media at Civic Cipher. We'll be back. Next week, same time, same channel, uh, with more of exactly what you want and need to hear right here on Civic Cipher.